Today we're on chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, and we are on the, the second major topic of the, the questions, written questions from Corinthian Christians. If you remember, chapter 7 was a colorful chapter, uh, the questions about, which led to a lot of things about sex, singleness, and marriage, and divorce. And today, the verse 1 begins with concerning, which means there's a second part of the question. Yes, this chapter is about food offered to idols. But I don't want you guys to turn off. But I, I don't, I, well, food offered to idols, like, what has that got to do with me? Well, actually, I'm so grateful for Apostle Paul how he deals with it. And this actually provides much insight and much needed principle for our community. A few things as we begin. Let's kind of delve into the context before we delve into the text itself. What was the issue? The most meat sold in first century Corinth was offered to idols. The meat market used usually were located right next to the temples. So when you go to the meat market or any street market, there was no way, unless you're meticulously kind of take all day long to investigate which, mar which meat was offered to idols and which meat was freshly um, served there without being offered to idols. And then some Christians, or Corinthian Christians, were arguing a very differing, heated, controversial issue. Uh, this became the controversial issue. There are two sides. One side, eating meat meant to sin and against their own conscience. The, uh, Apostle Paul calls the weak in the faith. But it, that definition is misleading for modern people like you and me because weak thinks, we think of it as weak-willed, someone who is a little more... Um, weaker in nature, and temperament, anything. No, actually, the person whose conscience is conscience, sp spiritual conscience, faith conscience is weaker. Put, let's put ourselves in their shoes for a sec. All your life, you've been habitually going to the temples for the betterment of your business and your health and your family. The, there's no curse from the, these gods or do you, the blessings of the gods on your harvest, on your children, on your family and your business. And then each um, occasion, especially the big ones, like for example, every two years they had Isthmus uh, games, like the, the second two Olympics, the largest game around there. So every time when you enter into that season that you will 
root for the person that is representing your, uh, your clan, or your people. And then, obviously, wishing the luck involved the worshiping of the gods and the idol worship always accompanied with offering of the meat and imagine that you became a Christian and Christ as a one Lord and one Father you are determined to follow without worshiping any idols, without having any other gods, as Ten Commitment reminds us. And then when you find out this meat is offered to idols, it's awfully kind, I mean, it's very guilty feeling. You can't really get rid of it. And there are some people felt like that. The other side was more simple, uh, knowledgeable person. That, that knowledgeable doesn't mean they have more content theology-wise. But experientially, they said, oh, put two and two together. Because idol doesn't exist. Idols do not exist. So it's meaningless. So I have no problem whatsoever. to exercise their Christian freedom and right. And once again, the strong in the Corinthian uh, context, Apostle Apostle Paul calls it. So we might not have this very issue, but we do have a lot of controversial issues, not necessarily black and white, Bible forbids it or not, but it is gray. A lot of thing to do is it has to do with our each person's conscience. So the gray areas you could think about, starting with drinking and smoking and uh, going to Vegas and uh, casino, uh, internet games, certain type of games, certain type of movies. You could name all those things. So, answering this question, which seems to be a very simple question, Paul could have used only one paragraph. If he answers directly, even though it's a complicated question about sex, divorce, and marriage, and singleness, he took one, only one chapter. Right? For, for this particular question, he takes three chapters. Chapter 8 is about general principle. Chapter 9 is illustration by his own example, his life. Chapter 10 is another illustration, historically Example, Israelites in the wilderness. And then at, towards the end of chapter 10, he actually answers directly some of those 
conclusions. And I'm not going to spoil the fun for you. The true answer is in chapter 11, verse 1. He ends with that. But he saves it all the way to chapter 11 and verse 1. The question is why? I'm thankful for Apostle Paul because he did this. He took this as a teaching moment to to teach on Christian living in general, a principle, a guiding principle for every section of Christian life in general. That's why we get so much benefit today. Even though we don't have this particular issue, we could these principles will be applied in every direction of our lives. And today, as we focus on chapter 8, he starts with this introductory remark, uh, a general principles. Well, actually, it's a one principle. Uh, he unfolds it together. He gives it out straight. Knowledge, the title of the message is that too. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And knowledge without love versus love with knowledge, Paul says this is a contrasting thing that we ought to learn. So, a simple question that we're going to ask so that we could hang on our lessons on it is, is this. What principles can we apply in gray areas of the Christian life? Principle number one, make sure you seek to know God personally beyond knowing about God. If I put it Differently, in other words, I will put it this way. Make sure your knowledge, full, complete knowledge, rather than incomplete, immature knowledge. Verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Whenever you see quotation, you need to think about Paul's reacting to Something that has been already said. In this case, this was another slogan, another thing that's been said quite a lot, often, by the Corinthian Christians. Influenced by Greek philosophy, the knowledge was revered. So they they all said, all of us possess knowledge. He actually agrees with that. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. You see, when Paul is contrasting knowledge and love, the first thing that I need to make sure that we understand is he is not taking two things things to separate opposite. He is not saying the knowledge is bad, 
and love is good. He's actually saying this, quote, unquote, your knowledge is incomplete. And true, complete knowledge will have love. So our generation likes this kind of statement, right? What's good to, what, what, what is that all about knowledge and heady stuff and all these formalism? Let's do away with doctrines and let's love and grace. And this is popular trendy thing. Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying knowledge is important because by this knowledge, you, some of you have freedom. Some of you have this conviction. Good for you. But if you end there, it is un- incomplete. It's almost like a trying to fly an airplane with one wing. You need two wings. So incomplete knowledge puffs up with pride and entitlement, while complete knowledge builds up in love. Notice verse 2. Isn't that kind of strange? If any, anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, in verse 3, all of a sudden, he mentions loving God. If, he, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Let's say he wrote it this way. If anyone loves God, he knows God. That sounds even better. More continuous, fluent understanding. But Paul is intentional in saying this way. Because basically, your knowledge is incomplete because when you know about God versus know God personally and intimately in relationship, that you will know heart of God. A couple of passages come to my mind. John 10, verse 14, Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. And later on, he says, my sheep recognize my voice and follow me. There is not only knowing God, knowing about God, but beyond that, knowing God and being known by God relationally. He knows us. First John 4, 19 through 20. If we, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Knowledge about God. God is love. God loves me. That's great. He died for me. That's great. But knowing God means if he died on the cross for me, he laid down his life, not only for me, for my brothers and sisters, 
I ought to lay down my life for others. First John 3.16, same thing. But incomplete knowledge is that I love God. I love a lot of things. Well, as a matter of fact, all the things I read in the Bible. But in horizontal relationship, we hate our brothers. Apostle John is saying, you can't do that. It's incongruent. It's incomplete. So, head knowledge is knowing about God, which is incomplete. And true knowledge is knowing God and being known by God. Uh, Some of you guys know that I'm uh, in a good word, frugal, and bad word, cheap. <laughs> I don't buy things on online. I, I don't remember last time I bought something, but there was a moment, historical moment in my life. I was watching this infomercial, maybe more than 10 years ago. Um, I think Soren was born or not, I don't remember. I thought I was doing most romantic thing because I was watching this infomercial and this hairstylist using this plastic thing and kind of grabs hair and breathes it up and, and then use a hair blow dryer. <laughs> I, mentioned, I, th- I remember that Kate used to mention that she, Kate complained about her, how her hair getting thin and flat and she, need, she wants more volume. I wish I had more volume. I sh- and then watching that one minute, well, how he's doing it, so much volume on this woman. So I called, broke my own rule, and called and ordered this whole set. Thinking that Kate will be just overjoyed, like, thank you for loving me so much. You know her response? You really don't know me, do you? She's right. Now I know her a little better. <laughs> How stupid of, of, of was I to even think that that will make her feel loved and cared for. I don't think she ever used that. <laughs> Set aside somewhere. I try to use it on my. <laughs> so knowing God versus knowing about God. And Christian principle, this is very, very important. As a matter of fact, one of the Best books that I would recommend is J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And some of you guys read it. But if you haven't, I would lo- highly recommend to, to, to all of you to read it. And let me give you glimpses of what he wrote. Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes, is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him as he takes knowledge of you. Knowing about him is a necessary precondition of trusting in him, but the width of our knowledge about him is no gauge of our knowledge of him. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. 
What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. What in humans gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. Paul's point is not the knowledge about God is bad or knowledge in general is bad. The full, complete, true knowledge is that to know the knowledge and truth and the heart of God behind it. Principle number two. In gray areas, we need to realize that others may not have the working knowledge that frees their conscience of faith. Verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. Verse 5. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and heaven or on earth, as indeed there are, there are many gods and many lords. And verse 6 is one of the most important pa- passages uh, in verse in Christian doctrine. This was a, their confession, uh, their, their creed of first century Christians. Um, on, on the foundation of the Old Testament belief, and they crystallized this Christian faith. In verse 6, 6 is actually the truth, correct truth and correct knowledge that they have. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. For us, oh, this might be just straightforward, mundane truth and knowledge, but once again, if we put ourselves in their shoes in first century, in Greco-Roman world, there are many gods. Greco-Roman world, that not only mentions all these idols, but they have names for every single pantheons. The Romans had their version of it, equivalents of it. But in the city of Corinth, they have so many gods. And one Lord, who is Caesar. To say anybody is the Lord would be uh, equivalent of the crime that could get that sentence. The first century confession was there is only one God and one Lord who is Jesus Christ. The Lord of heaven. The Lord of all human beings. So does Paul agree with this truth and knowledge? Of course he does. He's basically saying, good for you guys. And some of you, because of this truth, 
come to realize this Christian freedom, Christian right. If idols don't exist at all, it doesn't matter how many gods out there in the name of idol worshiping or in the name of temples, but there is no idols. So offering anything to, to idols or gods, it's meaningless. Nothing is defiled. The meat is meat. Bring some steaks to me. I'll eat it if you don't like it. You know, this one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, is very similar to Romans 14. It's very similar, similar problem, but the context is sharply different. Because in Romans 14, we're talking about mainly Jewish people who are concerned about what is clean and unclean but because of their ceremonial customary law. And then cultural customs also, too. But here, majority of them are Gentiles. And then this idol worshiping is idol worshiping one God. It was so important, important in their Christian faith. It became a stumbling block for them. A question for you. Those Christians who didn't say, I, I'm not going to eat. Okay, no, no, uh, you should need. Do you think they do not know this head knowledge? Of course they do. But usually, the conscience is, works in very different way. We all have that because of our upbringing, because of constant value system in which we live. There is an area that we feel weaker in, the, in our conscience. In my head says something, but when I eat this, I feel guilty. You have a hard time understanding that. So let me take this back to uh, some of us. At least some of you will identify with my background. Growing up in Christian family, our Christian family was absolutely no alcohol, no smoking family. So we're taught not to touch cigarettes and not to touch alcohol. But in truth, in biblical truth, if I name the biblical principle, it's a great area. So just imagine this. When I was growing up, revering C.S. Lewis's writing, and then there's a picture that messed my, my life. C.S. Lewis... <laughs> Smoking, oh, the spiritual giant. Even though I knew the Christian principles of it, it still bothered me. If any uh, church leader, if any per person who smoked in front of me, and even culturally, even many evangelical churches, it's like that. And not to mention drinking. I'm thankful because my adolescent years, because of the strict fundamentalistic approach to Christian life, I didn't learn to drink. But that became my freedom. I could go anywhere. And the freedom in Christian definition 
is not just to do whatever you want to do, but stop whatever you want to stop is actually freedom. So there are occasions that I could have a glass of water and glass of wine and no problem whatsoever. But when there is a situation that I'll say no thanks. See, the law principle in here is to think for others rather than insisting our entitlement. This is my right. And to think for others means to become aware of their needs. Americans are so well trained to stand up for our rights. So this is a foreign area for us to become aware of our others' needs. This is my freedom. This is legal. To take it to more practical level in our daily lives. And some of you went through recovery process and you're still going through that. And that the particular friend you have, you find out, struggled with alcoholism and trying to remain sober. And because of your freedom, it's my party, my barbecue party, and my friends over, and beers everywhere, wine coolers everywhere, and you are even insisting everybody cheer together. That is not Christian freedom. That is not complete knowledge. Apostle Paul is talking about love builds up. I, 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 it delights my heart when I hear these kind of stories. Some, you know, young uh, generation, they planted a church. They want to be authentic, so they got the real bread. Nothing like those, Elgin doesn't like this kind of bread. So it has to be some, you know, Hawaiian sweet bread or whatever that is. <laughs> but they got real wine, alcoholic wine. But when they find out there's a brother who's struggling with alcohol, and trying to stay off, remain so sober, they gladly exchange that to great juice. Will there be complaint with people who want to keep their cool about it? Wouldn't it be really nice to have real wine? The Christian principle is to become aware that not all have that freedom. And once again, in our generation, this particular issue and with drug application is kind of rare because we are on the cheap gray side so much that people don't really think about, okay, for Christ, I have decided not to do this, whatever the it is. But so... In our application, we should think about people who are weaker 
in terms of temptation in that area, as I mentioned, as I mentioned. Principle number three, don't let exercising your rights become a stumbling block to others' faith. Starting verse 7b, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off, no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. It's, this is what they were saying as well. But take care, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Will he not be encouraged means will he not be tempted, lured? That's a better expression there for our understanding. Don't do that in front of them. You become a stumbling block to them. So the problem in gray area is to polarize attitudes. In one hand, there is a strict legalism and judgmentalism. Some of us ran into those people who are angry about so many things that what you or I should not do. Now, I came from that kind of background. So planting this church and, and hanging out with you, just the fact that I don't have to wear a tie and suit, you know, I sweat a lot, right? So just imagine that I wear full suit every Sunday. That I'm free from that. But like I said, I think majority of us, if not all, are on the cheap gray side and this antinomianism. Under grace, everything is allowed. I'll just chill out. Grace is all we need. So Oprah Winfrey sounds good in this area, too. So when you exercise our rights and convictions, we can be prideful. We can, be, we can have the self-entitlement. And in so doing, we become stumbling blocks. Because Bible clearly mentions when it comes to sin, it's violating our whatever that our conscience is saying. Even if it doesn't make, if it's not sin to you, that person has a conscience of faith. You're, you're having them to commit sin. Romans 14 verse 23 is helpful for us. 
But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith, or we could think of it as whatever does not proceed from conscience, is sin. So we should never, ever lead others, especially the weak in the area of temptation or weak in faith, into temptation to violate their conscience because of, their, because of our own rights. And several years ago, this was back in the 90s when I was still single, I gathered some of... Uh, friends, and we decided to go see a movie that I was, in, that I was anticipating. Uh, and two of my favorite actors, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, and they were in the same movie called The Heat. And we went to Newport Beach, what do they call it, the big theater with a gigantic screen, the wider screen, and the sound surrounding sound system. Oh, I, I could hardly wait. And among, within our small group of people, and there are a few girls, and one girl was willing to come with us. Hey, let's go together. But her upbringing, um, she was not used to it any kind of even violence. Uh, it rated our movie. And then, to tell, to tell the truth, that at the climax of this movie, do you remember that scene that they got just the, robbed the bank and coming down from the high rise and the big street, they start shooting the machine gun? That was like most exciting scene and the, with the wide screen and the surrounding sound system, boom, 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 like that. And then she couldn't take it anymore. She just walked out with teary eyes. So what do I do as a, a spiritual leader? <laughs> Grudgingly, I got up. Man, this is the most important moment. I didn't say anything to her, but I was saying it a lot in my head, in my heart. And then I found her, and we went to the Cocos across the theater, I'm trying to listen to her, but half of my mind is still up there. <laughs> but hearing her background, I could see why this is a violating her, her conscience. Temperamentally, she's weak, but a Christian conscience, she couldn't handle it. She actually was surprised that I was fine with it. I, on the other hand, if you ask me to go some rated R movie, but this time it's not Al Pacino or Robert De Niro kind of movie, but it's kind of lacy and very of a sexual innuendo, American Pie type kind of that kind of movie, I will say no thanks. It's not just good for me. 
But if you insist, you're going to be a stumbling block to me. I'm just fine with it. And I'll have all kinds of conversation in my head. You see that? Listening to her and just empathizing with her, coming down. She's breathing normally. That was the right thing to do for me. At the time, I didn't really know I was doing the right thing. I was just complaining in my heart. Because why? The complete knowledge is Christ who died for her. And that's actually number four principle. Give up your rights gladly in order to build up others in love. Verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is a general principle. I give up my rights. American Christians, Apostle Paul is calling us, I gladly give up my rights. To build up others in love. This is the principle for gray areas. What is the heart knowledge of God who sent us his own begotten son to die on the cross for my brothers and sisters? That he aches, his heart aches for them. Many of us have small children. If somebody violates their conscience in any way, hurt their feelings intentionally because of whatever they, they like to do, they free, for, free from their own conscience, you'll get upset. I'll get upset. What, what is the... Love principle. Love principle is that you actually sacrifice. And it's okay to not to do it. Not to, not to practice your own rights. So I'm going to say some, something very practical for our community as well. We do rotation for everything. Now the, our church, small church, has grown and number of kids and new people coming in our number has grown larger and larger. The lunchtime, it's a quite a test. It, it happens to be my family's uh, rotation this week. And Kate's teaching the youth, youth group because Scott's away, but she has to do food, and I, can't help, I feel bad about it. And in, in terms of financial cost that goes in, it's quite increasing more. And in the beginning of our community and church plan, there used to be some kind of tension and conflict. 
because of fairness. Why, why do some people get freebies? Oh, we should, uh, they've been here long enough. Let's put them in rotation right now. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm so glad Susie has been doing such a good job of communicating value. You know, the principle is not fairness. The principle by which we do rotation is love. Love principle. There are people who are doing much more. There are people who are putting much more money in there, too. Because of love. So just imagine that you're at Thanksgiving dinner. You're inviting your parents and your siblings into your house. And that you want to make sure everything's equal and fair. That would be crazy. I know how generous you are. I know how much abundance of food. There'll be turkey left over. You could eat whole week long and maybe whole month long. And the pie is sitting everywhere. And do you feel any loss? No. Because you feel love for them. Your heart is full. That's love principle. One more thing in application. Because we uphold the authority, supreme and superseding authority of the scripture in our generation, I'm so glad many of you are actually at least looking at the quiet time passage every day and talking about scripture in your men's group and women's group and going through Exodus study even tonight. And we're continually upholding the value of scripture guidance. Way to go. But my heart, impacted by what God has been speaking on my heart, we ought to be very cautious lest our knowledge pops up. But if we really know full knowledge of God who is loving and caring, our love, the more we know, the more we are knowledgeable about Scripture, the more we will become loving and humble. So whether it be cigar, whether it be kind of get-together that some hard liquors, liquors come out beyond beers, whether you are not affected at all on some type of movies or entertainment on, on internet, think on this principle. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. I, I finish with this story. Several years ago, I actually heard him in radio and still vividly remember that illustration. Chuck Swindoll uh, talks about his seminary professor and he, as a pastor af after the graduation and few other pastors, including the seminary professor, the, the professor for Hebrew, has a walking Bible to him, decided to visit Christian Science Church in Boston, Church of, First Church of Christ 
scientist in Boston. And as you, some of you guys know, might not know, Christian science deny the judgment after this. I mean, everything's, you know, no one goes to hell. There's no real disease. It's all make-believe kind of thing. And there is no judgment. And then because they didn't, you know, elaborate on what they do, this old nice lady was guiding them, introducing them, showing them around. And then she began to explain some of her doctrines that there will be no judgment. Everyone is loved by God and will be received by God, so on and so on. And this professor who could code, code Hebrews 9.16 in Greek, original text, instead of coding him, coding the text directly, uh, doesn't it somewhere in the Bible that it is a, a point that everyone once die and there is judgment? And the lady, instead of asking questions, would you like to see upstairs too? And then Swindle, in his mind, said, go get him, prof. This is the one. Don't let her get away. Give it to him. Give it to her. Ask, make her, make her answer. But instead of doing anything like that, he said, sure. Thank you. Went up. And after that incident, Swindle pulled him aside a little bit. Why didn't you do it? There was a golden opportunity. And the professor leaned over to him and touched him gently and said, Chuck, that wouldn't be much loving, would it? And Swindle, Chuck Swindle said, that made a, such a deep impact in his heart. And that was the teaching moment, he said, that he carries on all these years. So I, I, I am so much thrilled about scripture guidance today. And then I s sense uh, upcoming battle for truth and homosexuality and gay marriage. And then you know my position on that. That knowledge is good. And we should not bend and become syncretistic Christians who goes along with cultural trends. However, what we do with that knowledge with the homosexual uh, brothers and sisters, the people who are have no idea about it, non-Christians who are politically raising the issue, how we use this knowledge will prove us we are Christ followers or the incomplete truth followers. It's a complicated issue. But on the internet, all these people who know the right things become vicious, wouldn't it? So brothers and sisters, here's a principle by which we could apply in every section of our life. In the name 
of Christ. I urge you to live by it. Even in the sense that when your husband and wife in, in, in fighting and arguing and your spouse did such a 90% wrong and you have all the right to say harshest thing in the world, to pay back, but to give up that right gladly to build up others in love is Christ-like. That's the freedom we ought to cultivate, enjoy, May the Spirit of God lead us in this love principle. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Apostle Paul who actually elaborates on principles. And we look forward to hearing his example next week in chapter 9. And the conclusion in chapter 10 but today we pray that you will teach us mold us to become like Christ like in our knowledge help us to be mature and full and complete with love in our dealings with non-Christians in our dealing with weaker brothers and sisters Teach us not to compromise, but to practice in love, to build them up in love. Oh God, we need you. We need your guidance. We need you to keep us humble in our scripture guidance, uh, seeking scripture guidance in every direction of our church. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.